As we're walking through the book of John here, we've been seeing how God sending Jesus to us is light in our darkness. And that light in darkness means a variety of different things. And in the, the portion of scripture where we are at now, we're seeing that light is power. Power to be able to love God, to be able to be in relationship with him, to be set free from the darkness in our lives, to be able to rise above the darkness in this world. Kind of setting up today's passage in John 15, uh, a couple Mother's Day back, uh, I think it was quite a few actually, here, I bought Jane a, um, a dwarf lemon tree. I was really excited about this dwarf lemon tree. Uh, it didn't look like that, and we'll get to this. But the whole idea of buying this dwarf lemon tree, like Jane's a gardener, she loves doing that kind of stuff. And I've always like been really excited about the idea of how cool it would be to have like a fruit tree like in your house and how great that would be. And so, you know, did some searching and whenever I buy stuff, I do a ridiculous amount of research to make sure I'm getting the right one for the best price and, and uh, ordered it, you know, it's a little sketchy. It's like, you know, people are ordering trees online, they're shipped to you and it works. Like everything, evidently it's a thing. And it's supposed to work. So ordered a tree online, had it shipped to us. And uh, uh, it came, and, and it wasn't, you know, it, I knew it wasn't going to have fruit on it immediately. You know, it has to grow, but it was, a, it was a, 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 you know, a, a sapling of sorts and potted it and everything and prepared it. And we, you know, research and do all the, find all the instructions to find out, uh, uh, you know, how to take care of it right. And, and so the months go by and, and, you know, we're waiting and it would kind of sprout some new leaves and then, and then it would lose some leaves and, and then it lost more leaves and, and it was supposed to be, you know, fruitful, but this is kind of what it ended up looking like. It was pretty dead, pretty dead. I mean, all signs like in the sapling itself was like, it's still alive, but there was like, it's not growing. It's not producing fruit. And we got, eventually got to the part where like this, it's just not working. And we threw it away. A fruit tree is supposed to produce fruit. That's the joy of it. It's not just there to look at. Well, brothers and sisters, we were made to produce fruit. We were made to produce fruit. But the way we do that isn't by trying harder. It's not by us doing more or dig deeper, let's go. It doesn't work like that. In fact, we have no ability to cause fruit to grow. Today we're going to find, as we continue walking through Jesus' last words to his disciples, we need the power of God. We need God himself in us that we might be fruitful and prove that we are Jesus' disciples. We need Jesus to live his life through us to produce the fruit in us. If you haven't turned there, go ahead and do so. John chapter 15. 
verses 1 through 8 is where we're going to be today. I am the vine, the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is, but this is my, by this, excuse me, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, excuse me, by this you should we glorify the Father by bearing much fruit and prove to be his disciples. Join me in prayer for God's word. Holy Spirit, ah, we just ask for your work today in, 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 in bringing this truth alive to us, Lord, and making it real, Lord, and, and, and Father, that this truth would... Lord, we breathe new life. Lord, we want to be fruitful for you. And this concept of abiding can be so abstract. Lord, I pray that you would bring clarity. Lord, I pray for the experience of your presence here. Father, I pray for strength myself. I already can feel the, just the fatigue and, and, and not 100%. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, fill me. I need you. Your strength, your clarity, may you speak through me your truth. In your name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, for those of you who, who uh, haven't been with us for the last several weeks, we're in this portion of the book of John where Jesus is sharing his last words with his disciples. John chapters 13 through through uh, 17 are his, this, this long teaching that he has with his disciples of these deep truths where he's pulling back the curtains to understand the power uh, of how things work. And he's revealed that God exists as three persons and yet one. We've talked all through the Trinity. He's introducing this person called the Holy Spirit. We talked the last couple of weeks about who the Holy Spirit is and, and, and how he relates with us and empowers us. In, the, in this section of Jesus' teaching, they've caught, Jesus has had them, they've gone up from the, the upper room area, they're, they were inside, and now they're outside. They're, they're likely walking in the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and, uh, and Jesus now, like any good teacher, and he's modeled uh, uh, what, what good teaching is like by, by giving us illustrations or parables. 
And so Jesus moves into a parable or or an illustration that would have been widely used and readily accessible at that time of talking about a grapevine. Utilizing a grapevine to help us understand our relationship with God and how is it that God is going to do so much greater work through us by Jesus leaving, by Jesus going up, uh, dying, being resurrected, and going to the Father How is he leaving and and leaving it to us? How is there going to be greater work done? By him living, working in us. So he turns to this metaphor, this illustration. I'm the vine, the true vine, and you are the branches. Now I'm going to start at the end here to establish kind of the, the expectation In verse 8, you notice there, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The proof is in the fruit. Are you fruity? Now, that could mean a lot of different things. It would be really important for us to define what being fruity is and what that fruit is, right? What Jesus is talking about here is referred to, Paul picks up in Galatians what's called the fruit of the Spirit. There are things that should come out of us as believers. If we're squeezed like a sponge, what comes out of us when life squeezes us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things that, that are, are, are the fruit of the Spirit that should come out of us, aren't the, these, are, these are powerful things, necessary things that are good for every situation in life. Every situation. These things are powerful and meaningful for us. I mean, farmers, you need some patience right now, right? Amen? Some of you are like, no, we just need God to work. Let's go, God. Get on it. Get her done, Lord. Let's go. Maybe this is a little, need, a little bit of a need for patience. That joy, it's not circumstantial. It's a state of being. It's not a feeling. It's resilient. Joy that, 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 that is unending. That's powerful. It's contagious, right? When you're around people who are joyful, you're just kind of like, oh, man, like things are just not as bad. Not as bad. And joy isn't, isn't superficial either. You know people who are superficial. Like they just don't get it. They're, 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 their optimism isn't based in reality. I'm talking about joy, rejoicing, this, 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 this genuine, honest, raw knowledge that God is good no matter what's going on in my life. The ultimate is love. Jesus is going to come back to that later in this passage. And earlier he has told his disciples, the world will know you're mine by love coming out of you. And it starts here in the family of God, that this family, this society, this new politic that he's forming as the king looks different than the rest of the world because it's a testimony to who the real king is, Jesus. That there's... Something that only he can produce and do in this world, which is why he had to come. 
live this life that we couldn't live, die in our place to change us. Bearing fruit is not optional. If you've been redeemed by the king, his blood that he shed is pulsing through your veins. He's in you and it should come out of you in ways that are powerful, that are different, where you're not living for yourself anymore, that you can live victoriously. That doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we don't struggle. It doesn't mean we don't experience depression. It doesn't mean we don't have anxiety. It doesn't mean that we don't sin and, and lash out or struggle with pride and unforgiveness. It doesn't mean those things. But the fact that we're struggling and where it's a fight is a different story than we're just growing roots in our darkness. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Jesus says, we prove we're his disciples by this fruit. In fact, it's even more significant than that. By this, my father is glorified. We are in a society that we don't appreciate glory. Many of our other cultures outside of some of our Western tradition and in America, we've tried to flatten social structures in order to be egalitarian and to share power. But as a result, we don't have the tendency to honor authority. We don't have a tendency to recognize and respect authority. Other cultures have this, a high deference for this, high honor in this. When I was in India, my, uh, uh, um, the leader of the ministry of AIM Asia as he would go around, young pastors, or not even young pastors, even old pastors, when they would come into his presence, they would bow at his feet and kiss his feet. That was very uncomfortable for me. Please don't do that. We're in a very different culture, but they have such a high honor for status. We miss that, that our Father in heaven deserves to be glorified. We share in the family name and we bring honor to the name of Jesus, which matters when we consider he's the king. That language gets lost on us often because we don't think very much of status, that it's that important, that significant. Jesus is my friend. He's near. We like that relational language. But friends, there's so much more at stake. He's our king. He deserves honor. But the question is then, how do we do this? How do we get there? As I prefaced, it's not a matter of just dig deeper. Come on, people, try harder. Do better. What, what does that stir up in, within us? Guilt. Because many of us know, like, we keep trying, we keep doing, and we keep messing up. Man, I just keep being, personally remind them, I struggle with anxiety constantly. I'm a competitive person. I've got pride that I wrestle with, self-glory. It's constantly there. It's not a matter of me trying harder. That's kind of just festers like gasoline, pouring it on a fire. So if trying harder, digging deeper isn't going to do it, how, how do we produce this fruit? Jesus in verse 5 explains, and he drops this bomb. This is so counterintuitive. 
I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it, it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How much can we do? I heard nada. Yeah. I mean, let it sink in. Nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but in our rugged kind of individualism or, or in a sense of, 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 of responsibility, that sounds really offensive. You can't do anything. Well, I mean... When we think about it, like, well, I got here. I mean, I, I, I drove here or maybe you walked here and um, you're still paying attention. I mean, most of you aren't sleeping, um, so you're awake. Um, you know, you, you went to work this week or school. Like, what do you mean I can't do anything, nothing? What, what, are, we, what are we talking about? Because I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a lot here. In fact, I'm pretty exhausted. What's, what, what does Jesus mean? You can do nothing. The context here is two levels. On the first level, any ability that you have, you did not create. Did you create yourself and form yourself in your womb? Did, did you create the chromosomal structure in your, in your genetic DNA that caused you to grow in a certain way and, and have the faculties that you have? And did you cause that to happen? Did you keep disaster from striking you today? That you weren't hit by another car on the way over here? Did you? When we, when we boil this down, what I'm trying to get at is all that we have the fact that we're here, the fact that you might be able to hear even me, that you might be able to see that, 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 that you have blood pulsing through, that's grace. That's God. You don't deserve that. You didn't do it. It's a gift. We take so much for granted. We get so arrogant in our sense of self-sufficiency. Just because I can do things means that I have ability that I have entitlement to take responsibility and ownership for what I can do, which leads us to kind of a sense of pride. Well, I can do it. Why don't other people do it? Self-sufficiency is one of the greatest seductive lies that deceives us into believing that we are in control. that we're in control and give us a sense of pride. I got this. We are being sustained, friends. Everything we have is a gift. Where you were born, the circumstances, the conditions, the family, all the things, there's so much that you are not in control of is grace. Even you can be incredibly intelligent and gifted and successful and things can turn just like that. And some of the testimonies in this house can speak to that. 
That's one level. Everything we have is a gift. But on another level, Jesus is speaking in relation to the Father, in a relationship to our created purpose was to live in love for God and to live in loving community with each other. We cannot do that. We won't. We can, be, we can show demonstrations of kindness and things, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, without Jesus working in us, we live out transactional relationships. Like when you go to Walmart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you money in order to get my goods, my groceries, my toilet paper, whatever it may be. I give you money, I get. That's most of our relationships, what it ultimately gets boiled down to. We don't have the ability to give without receiving anything, and that only comes because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We talked about this last week, that perpetual love and grace of God that he's pouring towards us is the only ability for us to give, to be patient when there, when, when there are no answers, to, to love when we're getting daggers and, and, and in conflict. The only way is, is, is through receiving through Jesus Christ. This sense of being able to do nothing isn't a statement of our value. It's an orientation to reality. Any other belief system, it will try to sell a better version of ourselves. It'll try to inflate our sense of ability out of a sense of trying not to, not, not to minimize or cut down our value. You see, our value is given by God because he created us, but we can be honest with our inability because we're sinners. And it doesn't mean we're less valuable. It means we're honest about our starting place. We will never be who we could possibly be until we realize we can't do it on our own. And so God, <clears throat> God does the work. God does the work. Let's see here. Right at the beginning, it says, I'm the true vine, the Father's the vine dresser, the Father prunes those branches that produce fruit that they may produce more. Jesus talks about with the disciples, I've already done this with my word. In your life, you may wonder, like a variety of different things that may happen or, or challenges or struggles. Or, uh, it, it's not necessarily God causing them because you're, you did something bad and you're, he wants to teach you a lesson. We are far more believe in karma than we do reality, and, and that reality is grace. We do bad things, we get bad things. That, that's oftentimes how we believe. What God is doing and using in these lives and the hardships and the challenges, even successes, God's pruning. Pruning, you think about it, if someone were to take scissors to your life, shears to your life, it's kind of, it, you just kind of feel it. it, 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 it it's it, it's going to be a little painful, right? There's loss involved. Because there's accumulated growth in areas that are not healthy or helpful. You see the vine dresser the, the, uh, comes along and makes sure that the, those branches and those leaves are cleaned up in order so that when it grows, it the, wants the branches to grow up towards the sun in order to produce maximum fruit. So any of the extra growth underneath, they're going to clean it up as the season goes along even. 
Pruning is necessary. God is using circumstances. He's using your children. Many of you parents know your children are God's means of pruning. He's teaching you patience, right? It's boot camp. We don't always like it. The gifts that God gives and pours into your life, we don't think of those things. We think we're like, oh, great, we're entitled. Thank you, Jesus. But God's teaching you something in giving you good things. He's training you. God is working. And he works precisely through his word. Jesus repeatedly confronted and and challenged teaching the disciples. Who are they? How, How are they to relate to the Father? What needs to be removed from their lives? Jesus in his word, he's teaching us, he's pruning us to breathe life into us. In addition to that, Jesus used the word abide. Abide. We bear fruit by abiding. This word has different meanings and different terms related to it. It could be remain. depends on your translation. Remain in me. Like stay in place. Uh, abide has this kind of, this, this mutual like relational uh, 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 interaction involved. Jesus is talking about it as a, as a, as a vine uh, has branches. Those branches, as long as they're attached to the vine, the, the life of the vine pulsates, produced through that branch in order to produce the fruit. What Jesus is getting at is that we need his life to pulsate through us, to live out our purpose, to produce the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What he's saying is, I am the true vine. He's saying that there are other sources that we try to attach ourselves to in order to produce fruit, and it's not going to work. Now, for those of you who, are, who have been in the Bible for a long time, and Bible scholars here, the vine language was exclusively used in the Old Testament to Israel, the nation of Israel. Jesus is saying here, I am the vine. One of the last of his I am statements in John, he's saying, I am the true Israel. I am the true vine. You're, you're, you're not going to be able to please God by your ethnic status. You're not going to be able to uh, bring the kingdom about through the nation of Israel. You're going to be able to bring the kingdom about through me as your king. Some of these references to, to, the, to, to Israel as the vine, Hosea chapter 10, verse 1, Jeremiah 2, 21, Psalm 80, 9 through 12. If you want those passages, just let me know and I'll, I'll send them to you. But Jesus is, for the disciples, breaking down their, their sense of security and stability and, and ability by saying it's not about you being part of this nation of Israel, by you being a Jew, that's not going to enable you to produce fruit. I am the one who enables you to produce fruit. This is good news for us because all of us here are what the Bible would call Gentiles, non-Jews. And if we had to become a Jew in order to produce fruit, that'd be a problem, right? Right? 
But what happens here today, the false beliefs that we get attached to, there are a variety of different things that we look to in order to produce the, the ability in us. The one I want to really hit on is the, the, the deception, the, the, the false promises and premises of what's called secular humanism. It came out of an era called the Enti Enlightenment. And in this time, in, in secular humanism, the lies you hear, uh, you, you, these are popular phrases that may seem like, oh, but they're good. They're, kind of, they're not that bad, but you can do it. You can do it. Or here's a couple. If you believe, you will succeed. I mean, if you're a corgi, it's true. If you believe it, you can achieve it. Now, the, we, we have motivational posters around all the time and places, and, 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 and you might be kind of going, okay, whoa, what's going on here? What are, you, what, are you, what are you saying, Pastor Scott, here? When we get down to the brass tacks of these things, if you believe it, you can achieve it. I am never going to be an astronaut. doesn't matter how much I believe it. I'm just not that smart. All right? I'm hoping to run a marathon here this year. I don't even know if I can. I don't know if my body is, is healthy enough to do so. It's not a matter of just like, if I just muster enough optimism, I can do anything I want to do. I can't fly. I'd love to. I'm going to die trying. I just can't. We've got to qualify this, right? There's a whole bunch of positivity but we need to ground it in honesty and reality. What the, what the idea of secular humanism, the foundations of it are is you, us as human beings, were essentially good. All of us are essentially good. You just get the stuff out of our lives and out of our way. We will, we will be loving. We will, we will make the best and right decisions for everything. The problem was is World War II happened uh, about 80 years later after the Enlightenment, and proved that, no, we are re we really evil. We are not good. We're not evolving into better versions of ourselves. That's not just naturally happening. There's a reality we have to acknowledge. We're not essentially good. But there is one who is, and when he gets in us, he can produce that good. And there's more that can be accomplished in and through us because of him in us. We can't just, just believe harder. Dig deeper, you got it in you. No, that's dangerous. It doesn't acknowledge reality. False hope for change then just keeps people stuck and fosters guilt. We're living in a delusional world. You think of, I mentioned I'm training for a, a, a marathon, and I'm like in the first few weeks, so we're going to use the word train loosely. Um, I kind of planned it so it would be in this time where I could run outside, but I've had to do some running on a treadmill, and any of you who've done running on a treadmill hate it, right? It's horrible. Running on a treadmill sucks. And part of it is, is you're doing a whole lot of work and you're going nowhere. Nowhere. 
Like your body psychologically, physiologically was made to like, you want to keep going because like you're going somewhere. And when you're just on there for three miles and you're just like, this, I'm done. This is horrible. I'm going nowhere. When we keep trying to live on our own, we're just like a hamster on a wheel. We're running on a treadmill. We're expending a whole lot of work and we're going nowhere. Major Ian Thomas is uh, is pastor, leader, teacher. This is his book called The Indwelling Life of Christ. His heart was about helping believers understand and, and experience Christ in us and the power of living out of that place of Christ in us. We've had a generous donor uh, uh, by our church. Uh, quite a few copies of this book. And if this is something that, that, that is of interest to you, I don't have it out in the back because the donor said only those who will actually read it, not those of you who just like to accumulate books because you know who you are. I've got a clip here from some of his teaching that I want to share with you. And I want you to pay attention. I just want you to search your heart. And I want you to just move into this place of surrender. We can't keep trying to do it in our own power. We can't try to produce this fruit. We need Jesus. We need to surrender to let Jesus live through us. And your life will not be the same. Go ahead. And of course, if I'm to discover what the Christian life is all, all about, there's really only one person to whom I can turn. There's only one person that's ever been capable of living the Christian life since Adam fell, Jesus Christ. So that now he, risen from the dead, might come and perpetuate the life that he lived then in us now. So the Christian life, of course, is the life that Jesus Christ lived then, lived now by him in us. There is no other. In other words, God to a man is as imperative as oil is to a lamp. If you have an oil lamp and it's got no oil, you've got an oil lamp, but it won't behave like one. You might as well put it in the trash can. And of course, if you detach man from God, which is exactly what happened when Adam fell into sin, you've still got a man in your hands. But he won't behave like one. The only thing you can do, the only thing that you can do for an oil lamp that hasn't got oil is put oil in it. And the only thing you can do for a car that hasn't got gas is to put gas in it. And the only thing you can do for a man that hasn't got God is to put God in it. And when you put the oil in the lamp, it isn't so that the lamp can try harder. And when through spiritual new birth, God gets back into the man, it isn't that the man might try harder. You put oil in a lamp so the oil can be oil functionally. You put gas in a car so that the gas can be gas functionally. And you put God in the man so that God can be God functionally. In other words, Spiritual new birth is designed to let God be God in a man's human experience. So that everybody in that man's presence recognizes that God is in residence and God is in business. That it takes God, actually God himself, not what God has to say, not God's example, not God's precepts, not God as a faraway object of our emulation or worship. It takes God himself in a man, to be a man. 
And that's why we shall discover it will take Jesus Christ, not his teaching, not his preaching, not his sublime example, not the beautiful life that he lived, not the doctrines that he promulgated. It will take Jesus Christ himself, a person, to be a Christian. The Lord Jesus died upon the cross, not just to get you out of hell and into heaven, he died upon the cross to get God out of heaven into you. Actually calling the shots, actually controlling what you do with your hands, actually controlling where you go with your feet, actually controlling what you say with your lips, actually controlling what you think with your mind, actually controlling the decisions that you make. That is the measure in which you're saved. So that if any man be in Christ, he... Actually, he's actually a new creation. If any man be in Christ. I don't know about you, I was getting excited. I want us to turn to a time of prayer, and we'll come back to this next week or in a couple of weeks. But God didn't save you to merely get you out of hell and into heaven. God saved us to get God out of heaven into you. Are you letting Jesus live? Are you experiencing Jesus live in and through you? In your, whether it's in your marriage or, or, or at, at your workplace or in the conflicts that you're in or facing the temptations that, that, that you're facing, is Jesus living himself through you? He's the vine, you're the branch. He wants all of him to be in all of you. You let him live. Are you surrendering? It's not something that we do one time. It's the way we live is surrender. Jesus, live through me. I need you to live through me today in this situation, in this place. I want to invite you to pray with me as we have the worship team come on forward here. As the Spirit works in your life, if you need prayer to, for, around this surrender, please join me or, or, or some of our other leaders. But Lord God, we come to you. You, 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 Jesus, for those of you, of us who are saved, Lord, forgive us for, for, for believing the lie that we have to try harder. It's up to us, Lord. Jesus, forgive us. Lord Jesus, teach us to let you live through us. The gas in our car, the oil in our lamp, God in us. Live, Jesus, not us. Crucify us, Jesus. You live, Lord, where it comes to forgiving, Lord, where it's a struggle to forgive, Lord God, and the bitterness, Lord Jesus, where it's the, the pride, laying down our pride of our self-sufficiency, Lord God, and, and the humility of recognizing, Lord, our dependency, God, or, 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 or in self-sacrifice in, in our marriage or with our kids or with our roommates or classmates or coworkers, Lord Jesus, Jesus, live I need you to live in me, in us. Thank you. In your name, amen.